0: Welcome to week five of Markers. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. As you can tell, I am not here. As of right now, I'm in Illinois, and we're actually celebrating the one-year anniversary of Marla's Kidney Transplant with friends and family in Illinois. But I know that you're going to be blessed today as we get into the Word of God as we continue in our series called Markers. And again, we're going to land in 1 John in just a bit. First, I want to open up with this. I saw this quote this week. Um, And this has to do with G.K. Chesterton, a name you probably haven't heard, but he is a very common Christian philosopher and humorist from the 20th century. And this is what this is what happened. The London Times back then had been doing a lot of research and reporting on many of the same problems that we're facing today. And it ended every article with this question. And man, it is such a good question. What's wrong with the world? Well, G.K. Chesterton, being the the funny kind of mind that he is, he sent back this. He says, Dear Editor, what's wrong with the world? I am. Faithfully yours, G.K. Chesterton. What he's pointing to, and I believe he's trying to be a little bit humorous, but also there's a lot of fact in what he said. He says that at the base of all of the world's problems is the issue of sinfulness. Born again followers of Jesus praise God because he's on the throne of their hearts. And we know that his throne is above every other throne. But what happens when we fail to praise God or we complain or we argue or we simply get lazy or maybe we have explosive anger that destroys fellowship with God and other believers? What do we do then? Many of you know that I love to go hiking. It's no mystery. I talk about it and I tell a lot of stories from the trail or from backpacking. But several years ago, Austin and I decided that we were going to do this long hike on the Appalachian Trail. And I think the total length was like 45 miles. So we had decided that we were going to put on packs and I had decided rather he was dragging his feet. But I had decided that we were going to put on packs and we're going to hike from our house. And we're going to go on this long hike around around our neighborhood and then also out in the country, out beyond our house. And it was just amazing to me that although physically we had been more miles and I knew that we could carry the pack and everything was great, but we just got a couple miles up the road. Actually, it was up Toombsboro Road. We got just a couple miles and my feet were killing me, particularly one foot. Although my body was conditioned, I thought my body was conditioned to go the full distance. I thought, well, it's no problem at all. I've actually gone this distance before and, and we'd trained for this. But I learned something so valuable. Something so small can be such an impediment on your life. I've also heard this it's not the size of the mountain that impedes you, it's the pebble in your shoe. You see, it's not that life is always difficult, but sin is always a hindrance. It's not that life is always difficult, there's always a mountain to cross, but sin is always a hindrance. And even sin is certainly awkward to talk about. It's maybe even awkward to hear because I'm in the middle of this trail and talking about it. But even at church, in regular church studies, it's awkward to talk about. Because when you hear the word sin, it confronts you in such a way where you know you have to do something. And yet when it comes to sin, often we try and hide sin. We hide our sin by being uh, deflecting. So even for us I I heard from Pete Scazzaro this this bit he says it's it's often that people even people who are born again believers they hide or and they deflect their sin by using god talk so maybe you have somebody who comes up to you and says, hey, I've seen this in your life, brother, sister in Christ. I've, I've seen this, you've done this. Your action, your attitude stinks right now. And in the midst of that, they could be totally right. And yet you could deflect that and you could deflect it with God talking. You know all the verses to add, to, to, to add into and to counter everything they say. But in the midst of that, when you hide that sin, you suffer. Your relationship with God suffers. Your relationship with other people suffers. Your fellowship with God is broken and your fellowship with them is broken. We also hide by simply avoidance. Maybe you come into a church setting just like this one and something's brought to your attention and God steps on your toes and the Holy Spirit of God speaks to you and he says, whoa, 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 I need, you need to do something about this. There's something in you that you know needs to change and you say, ah, I need to change. I've been doing this. My attitude stinks. I've done this or I have broken relationships. And yet in those situations, you escape church and maybe you even avoid church next week all because, You're simply avoiding a sin that God revealed to you, but you suffer, you suffer. I think maybe a third way that we try and hide our sin is by being defensive, by being defensive. So as soon as maybe a loved one, maybe it's your spouse and they love Jesus and and, and they know that you're trying to pursue Christ likeness, but even in the midst of that, they say, hey, um, I love you, but I see this in your life. And maybe your response is pushing back and well, that's not me and, and excusing, excusing your bad behavior, maybe trying to use some escapism and say, oh no, 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 it wasn't me, it was them. And, and you try and shift the blame all because you're being so defensive. What we're gonna see in the midst of this is if you are a follower of Jesus, and man, if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to so get this this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, the big idea has rallied right around this. The awareness and elimination of sin is a marker. It's a marker. That's, our, that's the big idea. That's the marker this morning. Is that the awareness and elimination of sin is a marker of the presence of God in a Christian's life. So as we're seeking to answer the question, does my life verify that I'm one of God's own? Let's go into God's word today and let's see if our lives verify that we are one of God's own. And this morning, we're going to be in 1 John 1, starting in verse 7, going through verse 10. And again, remember in 1 John, John is largely countering the Gnostics, those who believe that they had a secret knowledge of God. And we're actually going to see, even as we dig deep in this and on the topic of sin, we're going to see that the Gnostics even were denying that they had uh, sin in their life, that even that they even had the ability to sin and, and literally they were deceived. And we're going to see how he counters this. Deception, let's dig into God's word, starting in verse 7, 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us of all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and he will forgive our sins. And who purify us of all unrighteousness? If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. There's three elements to this passage um, that, that I want to show uh, that I want us to see, and I want to show you. And this is uh, three different ways that lying is being referenced in. Deception is being referenced. You see, there's nothing more than Satan wants us to deceive you. Even if you're a follower of Christ Jesus, you've committed your life to Jesus, you're on fire for Jesus, Satan is still going to tempt you with deception. So you stop believing that the promises of God are true, that you stop believing that you're indeed God's child. Stop believing that you're a part of the family of God. Stop believing that you have a purpose and that your life has a meaning and that we're to glorify God in all things. So we see the first lie in verse six, verse six. It was a part of our reading, but here we we go. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live by the truth. So this is a person who's lying to say, oh, I'm in fellowship with God and man, but yet uh, if they're walking in darkness, it's a lie. Verse eight, we see another one. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So the second level of deception is this, to, to claim to be without sin. No, 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 I'm, I'm not guilty of sin. That's not me. You've got the wrong guy. And sadly, the progression here you see in verse 10, it says that we make God out to be a liar. Wow. Wow, man, we have to get this Right. John digs into this level of deception in two different ways specifically. The two aspects of sin that are being discussed here. The first one is this. If you're a note taker in verse eight, he says he says something to the effect of I'm not a sinner. That's a denial of the sin nature, a denial of the sin nature. As the Gnostics, they would deny a sin nature because if I can just go out and get the secret knowledge of God, then why would I need the finished work of Jesus in the first place? I heard this story where a student asked a preacher, he says, you say that unsaved people carry the weight of sin. But the young student says, well, I feel nothing. How heavy is sin? Is it 10 pounds? Is it 80 pounds? Is it 100 pounds? The preacher replied asking the student, he says, Well, if you laid a 400 pound weight on a corpse, what would the corpse feel? The youth or the student replied, he says, it would feel nothing because it's dead. The preacher concluded something and it's so powerful. The preacher concluded something. He says, the spirit too that is dead feels no load of sin and is is indifferent to its burden and unconcerned about its presence. And the student was silenced. That should silence us with that reality. Because maybe for you, you have accepted some level of cultural Christianity where you haven't committed your life to Jesus and yet all you've committed your life to are the things that you can control. Or maybe you've only committed your life to a bunch of religious things and yet you haven't fully trusted in Jesus for salvation. You've trusted Jesus for maybe a little bit of salvation, but yet you are seeking your own direction in your life. See, the, the damning thing about this is this. Our sin nature doesn't make us bad people. It makes us dead people. Our sin nature doesn't make us bad people. It makes us dead people. And only God can make us alive. We need to be regenerated. We need to be born again. We need what Nicodemus found in John 3 that we talked about earlier in this series. We need that. We need God to move in our life to allow us to have faith so we can experience his grace, so we can lean into him for salvation and we can lean into him for this lordship and the direction of our life. We need God to regenerate us because we all begin as dead people. I want to show you scripturally how this makes sense. Go to the left in your Bible to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at five verses in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5 says this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. He's talking about the evil one. He's talking about Satan. He's talking about the deceiver, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by object, by nature, objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. Folks, it doesn't get much more clear than that, does it? Then it says, it is by grace that you've been saved. It was a movement of God. It was the spirit of God preempting something in you, regenerating things within you because we're dead people, needing him to regenerate us the oppor- and give us opportunity to have faith in Him, and when it come, and with that, it comes a new heart and a new spirit, and new desires, and new loves, and new cravings, and fellowship with your Creator and fellowship with other godly people. The second thing that we see here about uh, about sin, particularly, the first one is the denial of a sinful nature, and the second one is this: it's the denial of sinful actions. It's the denial of sinful actions. Again, go to verse 10. If we claim we have not sinned, there it is, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. That's what the Bible said. So I'm gonna give you what I believe are three common sinful actions and attitudes that happen within cultural Christianity. The first one is this, busyness, un necessary busyness. How many days, how many hours do you have free in your schedule? When is the last time that you have just paused your life to just breathe? When's the last time that you you took a couple hours to Sabbath? Do you know that is one of the 10 commandments? When is the last time that you have just paused to spend time with God? Or I'll say it another way, when's the last time that you said, when somebody said something about doing something spiritual or even going to church or being a part of a community group or having your kids involved in church, you say, well, I'm just so busy. I heard a preacher had once said this, if you're too busy to do the practices of the Christian walk, you're just too busy to follow Jesus. If you're too busy for the elements of spiritual formation, you're just too busy to even be a follower of Jesus. The second one is passivity. I know somebody struggles with this, somebody's incredibly passive. Like they, when, when given an opportunity to share the gospel with a coworker, a friend, maybe even your spouse or your kids, you're very passive and you pass it on to someone else thinking, well, you know what? I, I don't know enough. I can't do enough. I, I just don't know what to do. And you just say, I'm just gonna trust that somebody else is doing it. But maybe that's the obedience that you have to walk into. Maybe that's the obedience that God is trying to draw you into. Maybe that is a sin you need to confess of. Being passive Maybe even you're passive in your approach with God altogether where you're just passive, maybe not in the, in the level of evangelism. Maybe you're just passive in your walk with God and you think, you know what? I'm a Christian, who, who, who really cares? I'm, I'm fine, I've got my fire insurance. I believe I'm going to heaven. I did that, that thing at Vacation Bible School. I was baptized. I know a lot of verses and maybe you are just so tripped up in the Christian culture and you've actually succumbed to cultural Christianity and you become so passive and starting to think that you need to reorient your life around the love of God and the love of people. The last one could be the hardest one for us. Laziness. And I would say laziness hidden in worldly pleasures. Laziness hidden in in pleasures, hidden in recreation. Laziness just hidden in leisure time. Laziness when instead of doing what it is that God wants you to do and speaking the truth of God's word or God's love to someone else, you are just not only just passive, but now you're hiding in your pleasure time, in your leisure time. And you, you, you don't do the things that are uncomfortable because you're bowing down to what's so common in cultural Christianity. I can just have my Jesus time, but I've got to have some me time. But what if you're wrong? What if you're wrong? What if part of your faith story is supposed to deal with those sins? What if part of your faith story was to allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak the truth to you so he can change you from the inside out. So you may be asking, well, where do I go from here? Like even from the things that we're just talked about, maybe you're feeling like, okay, something needs to change, like something in you, something deeply within you needs to change. Let's go back to our main passage and let's see what it is that needs to change. Let's go to verse nine, 1 John 1, nine. This is the instruction for this morning. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Now, verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. You see, sin is like Shane Preston's beard. We cut it off, but it just keeps growing back. So for us, what we have to do is we have to take inventory. Every time when I would go on a hike, whether it's a long hike or a short hike, I have this, this inventory, a backpacking inventory that I have. And I print off a sheet of paper and I take inventory and I bring all of my backpacking and camping gear and I put it all out in the living room. Days before I, I go out on, this, on my journey and I bring it out and I make sure I bring everything that I need and nothing else comes along. Have you ever thought that maybe you need to take a sin inventory? that you need to pause your life for just a little while. Maybe you need to pull away for a short amount of time. Maybe you need to go and be in close community with somebody and allow them to speak the truth of God's word to you and to tell you the truth about you to help develop this inventory. Maybe there's an attitude that is a hindrance to your walk with God and and keeping you out of fellowship with him and others. Maybe it's some actions that you're taking that also is keeping you out of fellowship with God and fellowship with others. Some things that you may find on your list are these, maybe you need to confess that you have divided the sacred from the secular, that you have divided the sacred from the secular. Instead, you have, you have taken your church time, maybe even your community group time or your serving time, and you've said, and this is all about cultural Christianity, by the way, you've said, you know what? This is my Jesus time, but the rest of the week is for me and what you've done in that. And you need to confess this as sin and you need to repent and turn away from this. What you've done is said, you know what? I can separate my walk with God into these little segments, but you're keeping God out of all aspects of your life. Colossians 3.23 says that we need to do everything for the glory of God and not for the glory of man. Everything for the glory of God. Everything in a Christian's life is holy ground. Everything in a Christian's life is sacred and set apart for God. Maybe you need to confess that you have tried to run from your past to avoid responsibility. I'll tell you a quick story about that. Whenever I was a kid, and maybe you had this similar dream when you were a kid, but I had the, used to have this nightmare, and I would wake up uh, in in this nightmare. I would wake up. I would get out of my bed as a, as a young boy, and then I would be running down the hallway, and and there was this the boogeyman was running and chasing me down the hallway and I could never outrun him. At just the point that I'd get to the end of the hallway, he caught me every time. Oftentimes I think you try and run away from your past. And yet I want you to know that it finds you every time. You need to confess that. You need to repent of that. Maybe that you need to confess that you've prayed um, for your will to be done instead of trusting and believing and pursuing God's will for your life and you've just you've you've wanted God to bless your way instead of pursuing his way and you got yourself in the mess that you're in but the good news is this God allows you turns amen you need to confess that before God and repent of that before God maybe you need to confess that you have controlled your family right into dysfunction here's what I mean that you knew that your family was going off the rails, but instead of trusting that to Jesus and giving that to Jesus, what you did is you held on a little bit tighter. And now things are falling apart, and it's just like holding grains of sand in your hand. The tighter you hold it, the more they slip away. And maybe that's God's grace to you in this moment, right here today, of saying, instead of holding on that into, onto your family so tightly, instead, let them go into the hands of Jesus. They're stronger than yours. There's more grace there. There's more mercy there than what you can even imagine. Maybe you need to confess that you lived, you have lived way beyond your limits for too long and you are tired. You're the kind of tired that you just can't get eight or 10 hours of sleep to sleep off. You're tired because you've had just these rhythms and patterns and the pace of your life has been so crazy. And it's because you have been hiding from sin. You've been hiding from responsibility. You've been hiding from God's people. And you need to confess that before God and say, you know what? I have lived without limits for way too long. And now, I don't even know how God, but now I want to pursue rest because you say that I should rest. Maybe you need to confess that you've just attempted to hide your sins by this unnecessary busyness. And you say, every time somebody says something about you, you say, oh, I'm busy. Well, I'm busy. And you you claim this busyness as a badge of honor, but that busyness is just you seeking to hide from your responsibility of dealing with the sin within you and the broken fellowship with God and the broken fellowship with other people. When we confess, what we're doing is we're agreeing with God. We're admitting to our own faults and we're admitting to our own sins. We're admitting to the, the bad attitudes that we've had that God calls sin. We're, we're admitting to the, the bad actions that we've done against God or against other people. I'll illustrate it in this way. When we go through life and we, when we haven't confessed, it's kind of like this Kevlar vest. You see this Kevlar vest is is a defensive tool. This Kevlar vest has layer upon layer upon layer built up upon itself to keep people safe and to keep the bullets out. You see, when we go through our life and we haven't confessed, what we've done is we've just added layer upon layer upon layer of sin and bad attitudes and bad actions, severing fellowship with God and severing fellowship with people. But what if this morning you just made a decision right here in this moment it says, you know what, I'm going to take, take the vest off, so to speak. I'm going to take it off I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow the sin inventory to happen in my life. I'm going to trust that I'm going to trust the grace of God and the mercy of God. I don't have to deflect anymore. I don't have to avoid those sins anymore. I don't have to be defensive anymore because maybe you're even in this moment, even for the first time, you can verify what it says in Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen that he who conceals his sins does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces finds mercy Man, I want you to find the mercy of God. The grace of God is good. God loves you. He's allowing right here in this moment, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, allowed you a U-turn to stop living your life for you. Stop the defensiveness. Stop the avoidance techniques. Stop the deflecting. Instead, open yourself up to God and say, God, change me from the inside out. My hope is that you have been maybe delivered this morning by what was brought from the word of God. My hope is that you would would find peace with God and that maybe even for the very first time that you would give your life to Jesus and say, I'm not gonna try and live life on my terms. And I confess that I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior. And Jesus, I know that, that you resurrected. I know that you died on the cross and I know you did it for me and other sinners just like me. And maybe today could be the day you ultimately have your life completely turned around. But it starts with confession, admitting to God what he already knows about you and finding that mercy that Proverbs 28, 13 just said.